Hello, and welcome to a rubbing episode of Hollywood Chop Shop. We are your cinema mechanics, Brett Mosier and Travis Santana. Today, we'll be reviewing part two of our Thunder trilogy with 1990's Days of Thunder. We'll jump into five-point inspection with Hard Cut, Second Best Protagonist, Board of Ethics, Control is an Illusion, and The Real World. But before we do, let's check in on the shop. Uh, hey, hey, amigo. So, so my girlfriend got me a cameo from a cameo, like in a movie. Well, it, it's this app where you, you can pay celebrities to record shout outs to your, your friends or your family, you know, happy birthday, Merry Christmas, whatever. Go on. Well, so the cameo, it was from Cole Trickle. And, and here's the weird part. It only costs 30 bucks, which which is dirt cheap. OK, enlighten me. Why is that weird? I mean, celebs who are charging 30 bucks for their cameos, they're they are usually pretty hard up for cash. If I'm honest, I, I did not think I'd be learning the minutia of the cameo app today. Eh, okay, yeah, okay, wise ass. Well, I'll get to the point. So I hit up Cole, and I, you know, I negotiated a bit, and uh, he'll sign a promotional deal with us. Uh, 20 appearances over a one-year period, you know, shaking hands, kissing babies, Cold five trickle. grand. Oh, and I, I forgot. He, he'll he throw in a commercial appearance, too. Oh, trick. Why do I know that name? Are you serious? That's a pretty hard name to forget. Two championships, three all-star wins, seven straight feature wins, and a Daytona 500 victory? Oh, Jesus. The race car driver? He tried to kill another driver after the race was over. Yeah, uh, NASCAR didn't, didn't punish him for that. They raced for the same owner. Then there was that rental car company that sued him for damages after destroying two cars. Uh, hey, now, Rowdy Burns was involved in that, and that got a quiet settlement out of court. Oh, really? Then how did I hear about it? And then there was that road rage incident at the hotel with the cab driver. Somebody told me he even tried to throw his physician out of the moving vehicle. Uh, he's, he's passionate? I tell you what, if you can get him down to four grand, I'll consider it. In the meantime, I say we fly down to Charlotte and check those boys out as we discuss Days of Thunder. A hotshot pilot, or I mean racing prodigy with no mechanical knowledge, hits the stock car scene and creates quite the dust up. If he's not alienating his crew or fighting with the association's best driver, he's probably tangled up in an ethics violation with his neurosurgeon. Can a veteran crew chief tame the wild driver and shape him into a champion? Or would his arrogance and recklessness stop him from ever seeing the checkered flag? I'm seeing a reaction from you. <laughs> no, no, no. I just, I was wondering. We, we got the uh, the Top Gun in a car out of the way quickly. I'm, I'm glad that in the first sentence you just went ahead and addressed that elephant in the room. That 10,000-pound um, elephant in the room. So, Travis... We'll jump into five-point inspection, but you know I want to know your quick diagnostic of this movie. <laughs> I don't... <laughs> I don't even think I could give you my diagnostic. It is certainly Top Gun in a in a, in a stock car. Uh, Top Gun lit to the recruitment of uh, a million people into the Navy. I'm not sure what this film created. Um... We were literally playing Rocket League, what, uh, last night, Brett, and uh, with my brother Joey. Shout out, Joey. 
I, I know you'll be listening to this. Uh, I could I couldn't resist talking about this movie because it's. I'm going to stop. I can't be critical about this movie. I am mostly going to be sitting back and I want to hear you cook because earlier today, Brett, I listened to the life review just to hear <laughs> you go into full shit on a movie mode. And I think I have a hunch that you might be back in that mode tonight. Maybe I'm wrong. I love Days of Thunder. I, I, what did you think? So I will say this. I did enjoy the movie. It was not... A, I think uh, you will say it's life-esque where there is a lot for me. If I wanted to go into full complainer mode, I could um, about this movie. It is still enjoyable, though. I will say I don't think it was intentional reading some of the background and trivia on this movie. This movie f is as fast as a NASCAR race. Like, it's insane the pace of this movie. The movie starts off, to me, in, in, in towards the end, the second the second act of any other movie. Like, we're immediately into it. Okay. Cole Trickle shows up on the scene just out of nowhere, and it's one of my favorite things. We like to talk about movie motifs and stuff like that. I love when it says, like, who's this new kid you're talking about? And they roll up right <laughs> as they're making that conversation. It's like, oh, what timing? There's Cole Trickle, the, the hot shot I was just referencing. Um, But good Lord, is this... This movie is... It's sad because it's one of those you look back and you're like, oh man, like it's just a cheap version of Top Gun, but it's by the same people who did Top Gun, so it doesn't make any sense why you would do that. <laughs> it's the same lead, it's the same director, so it's like, oh, they decided to knock off themselves, which I don't think happens very often in, in Hollywood, <laughs> where you're just like, hey, we had this hit, let's try and redo it, only it's going to be worse. <laughs> oh, okay, well... First of all, I will argue that this is a better, more complete movie than Top Gun, which kind of, I don't even know if it's more complete. It's the same movie as Top Gun, down to like tragic backstories, you know, getting the yips and not be able to drive slash fly. But here is where I will give this movie credit over Top Gun. Every single performance, I'm talking from Cruz and Duvall as our leads, Michael Rooker, Carrie Elwes, I don't, I never know how to say his last name. Pitch perfect. Nobody misses a beat on any. Randy Quaid. Mm -hmm. Everybody is just so good. It feels like a collection of scenes that don't tie together at all. I agree, and it makes sense. It makes sense, and I'll get into that. I have that. We'll get into hard cut because that's okay. a lot of what hard cut is going to be. So, well, go ahead and give me. I'll give, explain. That, that, I think that's perfect timing. Go ahead. What did you find out with Hardcut? So, so I was trying to decide if I wanted to delay on what I found out first or what my problems were. I'll do the problems first okay. because I feel like it'll ruin some of it. So Hardcut was this movie, to your point, This there's tons of hard cuts where like a scene just ends and another scene just starts. And there is nothing in between. And there's stuff that I would love to have seen happen in between. Um, I think some of the most egregious ones are the movie ends and I have no idea what happened to Rowdy. We have no idea. Does he survive his surgery? Who knows? It's just Cole drives for him, and that's it. That's Rowdy's. <laughs> that we've resolved Rowdy's story because Cole decided to drive for him. It's just like what happened to Rowdy. I think what happens to Russ Wheeler needs to be more explored because, from my understanding, Russ Wheeler wasn't a bad guy, and Cole is just a total dick to him <laughs> from the beginning to end, and like to the point where like they race for this at the point where Cole decides. After the race is done, he's going to go collide into Russ Wheeler. 
at that point, they're they might not be on the same team, but they race for the same owner. Like it's insane that he even does that, and not only that, he puts Russ Wheeler's life in yeah. danger in that accident. Like he could have killed him. He could have done the same thing that happened to Rowdy. Like it's insane that. And there's, I'm sure that because I'm seeing some of the other five points. Like I think you're gonna get his like, and we kind of we you talked about it in the skit, but like. There's no penalty for that. Like, he goes and races for himself later. I'm like, no, NASCAR would have banned that motherfucker. But I don't know if they would have because of what I found out later. So, um, that we don't, we never truly find out what happened to Buck's father. We know that, um, Hog, Harry Hog had something to, yeah. We don't know if it was the way he built the car that caused his father, Buck's father's death. We don't know if it was he had a heart. We don't know what it is, but that never actually gets resolved, which I don't have a problem with that. I think that that was intentionally done to, to you know, what's the real story here? Everybody has a different perspective. And there's, you know, obviously NASCAR has their their best interest is to cover it up so it doesn't look like there was anything faulty going on because, you know, if you're not cheating, you're not trying type thing. And, you know, Harry doesn't want to take responsibility for it because that would mean that he had some part in his his friend's death and all that. So I get that. I didn't have any problem with that. Um, there's a lot of other scenes that aren't as egregious, but like hard cuts. The whole scene between Cole and Harry where it's like, OK, you race the way you want to for what is like six laps or whatever it is. And then race my way for six laps and we'll see who does better. Cole does it his way, and then it's like, okay, now do it my way. And the next scene is Harry being like, look at these tires. I'm like, no, I wanted to see Harry telling him how to race the car. Like, that would have been interesting to see that interaction where it's like, okay, now you're going to take my tutelage. I'm going to be your man. I'm going to show you why I'm the best at what I do. And I'm going to, again, it kind of peels back the curtain behind how NASCAR works and you know what the the purpose of a, a crew chief is and all that now nah, we don't get that scene that scene is just completely omitted um the accident between Cole and Rowdy accident happens cut the next scene is them in the hospital there's nothing in between of like people trying to get that like that's an emotional scene of like the car like them trying to pull them out of the vehicles and stuff like that. I'm like that's a very emotional scene that we just decided to skip over and go straight to the action um <laughs> again no retaliation for hitting wheeler that's a hard scene he hits wheeler scene cuts we're done with that scene it's <laughs> like okay i i guess this is done um the whole rental car thing i thought was bonkers <laughs> where it's just like oh they're gonna rent two cars they're gonna completely destroy them and then they're gonna tend them back i'm like apparently nascar is never gonna find out about that either um which i <laughs> again this is to show how Suddenly, the rivals of Cole and Rowdy become best friends, which I'm like, okay, this is super shallow and lame, but okay, I'll buy into it because I'm trying not to take this movie too seriously. Um, and then <laughs> the other one that really stuck out to me, and I'm sure there's more, um, but yeah, just I guess it was part of that. A trickle and, and Rowdy somehow just becoming best friends now to the point where he's visiting his lake house and they're on a boat together. And it's just like, oh, they've bonded over the fact that they almost killed each other, right? <laughs> okay, that's cool. Like, I get it. They were both in the hospital. Like, this makes those to the point where like, the, <laughs> the scene where Cole is convincing him he has to go to the doctor and he slams the hey. pool table with the baseball bat. I'm like, what is happening? Hey, we can go the down scene. there and fix your head or we can fix it right here. What's it going to be? <laughs> hard cut <laughs> it's just like what it's like this movie it's just hard cut after hard cut after hard cut it's like it's basically nascar 
right turn, hard right turn, hard right. And it's just like, it's, it's insane to me, to your point. So you say it feels like it's just a bunch of smaller pieces that never really sew together. So in doing research for this movie, a lot of those things actually happened at some point in NASCAR. Now, it wasn't all the same racer, right? Which is why you would have somebody hitting a Russ Wheeler and not get suspended because they're like, ah, oh, well, we need other stories. Because I'm sure I didn't look it up, but I, I would assume you had to have been suspended if you did that. I, like yes, NASCAR wouldn't yes. you, NASCAR would be like, oh, that, that's cool. It's OK. They were the same owner, so he'll deal with it. It's like NASCAR would be like, no, <laughs> you're out. We're done. We're not doing this anymore. But that the rental car thing apparently was a real thing that happened between two drivers. I think. Dale Earnhardt might have been in, in, involved with that. I think Richard Petty really, one of my favorite scenes, actually probably is my favorite scene in the whole movie. And could, do you want to guess what it is? Uh, I would have thought it was the change my tire scene, the attempted murder, but I don't think that's where you're going to go. My favorite scene is when Cole Trickle is talking to Harry. He's like, I got to come in for a pin. I got to come in for a pin because now nah, it's not going to work for us. What do you mean it's not going to work for you? We're having ice cream right now. Ice and I'm like, cream. apparently that really <laughs> ice cream. Apparently that really did happen. I think it happened to Richard Petty. But so a lot of this movie actually is kind of an homage or like kind of a loose biography of things, crazy things that happened in NASCAR, which doesn't make for a good movie. It makes for a good TV show because you can put those in episodes it, it and then you can react to those things that happen. For NASCAR. It makes a good commercial for <laughs> yeah. NASCAR as well. But yeah, this whole movie is, like I said at the beginning, the movie starts almost where you would expect the first act or to, to have ended or second act to begin in any other movie. And we're just we're jumping straight into it with Cole and Harry having to bury the hatchet and figure out how to work together as a team. I'm like, that's the second act of a movie to a climax. But we're just going to do it right now, 15 minutes into the movie. It's like, okay. <laughs> it's just so... Another question I have, because I, I'm again, I'm just so eager to hear all of your thoughts about this movie because I've, I've loved it for so long, you know, flaws and all. How long would you guess that this movie takes place over? Like, is it a week? Is it a month? Is it a year? Is it five years? Because I don't think the movie does a good job at all of, of conveying how long. Oh, I was just saying. I was if <laughs> you dropped five years and I thought you had knowledge that I did. I'm like, if it's supposed to be five years, that's insane. I would say a season is what I think it's supposed to take place over. Okay, like a racing season. But you got that. Yeah, it's literally the movie starts at the Daytona 500, which is the first race of the year. In, in case you didn't know. And then culminates with the first race of the year again. So yeah, you're you're right. So maybe it does a better job than I expected. It it, it is exactly one year. Uh, that's not to say that there's a lot of development that happens with these characters in a year, but that that would have been my my thought is that it it was a year. Uh, but yeah, that's so. Yeah, I think that's one of my. And it's funny because, you know, we like to do these things in trilogies. So in our new format, I'll probably try and reference movies in a trilogy since I don't know if we're going to keep doing our post shows or not. But so one of our biggest complaints about Thor, which was the first movie in our, our Thunder trilogy, was the pacing. And I think this movie, this movie has a similar, it has a pacing issue, but I think it's almost, I'm not going to say it's the opposite. I think it's a little bit adjacent. It's not where the pacing is a roller coaster up and down, whereas this one just basically rockets you and never slows down, like to the point where you can ever really digest what's happening. It's just 
boom, 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 boom. And there's a couple tiebacks like I did appreciate. They set up the the awkwardness between the doctor, uh, Dr. Was it Lewicki? And Cole, when he thinks that she's not a real doctor, because I guess she's, you know, doctors can't be pretty women. So he thinks it's another, he thinks it's another, uh, I guess you would say prostitute. I assumed that that's what she was, the way she acted. Um, but uh, I, yeah, I didn't think she was just a dancer. It made it sound like she was going to be offering a little more than a lap dance. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, I'd um, say so, yeah. Got real ornery but, with uh, it. <laughs> real honorary <laughs> but uh i did i absolutely love duval in this movie yeah that might be one of the big differences is in life when you say how much i i hated life i didn't really enjoy any of the performances in that movie so there was nothing for me to latch on to to enjoy so i just focused on how much i hated it whereas this movie deeply flawed as it is robert duval is just so so good in this movie he's you what, probably one of my favorite Robert Duvall performances of all time. Like, he's just, he's so good in this movie. Uh, yeah. Uh, say what you want about the movie. Robert Duvall, you cannot take your eyes off of him. Any scene that he's in, he he just crushes this movie. I, I quote Robert Duvall in this movie all the time. I mean, you, you've, Brett, you've heard it for years and had no context for it because you've never seen that movie, this movie. But, you know, get out of that race car. Ooh. like Duvall just <laughs> the performance is just it's not what you would expect like it, it is that 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 father figure that that folksy you know southern father figure but his acting choices are just so random at times and they just they just work perfectly every time well and I think they wind up putting a lot of the emo any emotional attachment or any an emotion on this movie on his shoulders because the, the most emotional scene is when it's him cole is trying to convince him to come back he needs to drive rowdy's car towards the end of the movie um i would even say again the third act is so condensed in this movie uh but the whole emotional thing about like what actually happened to, to buck's father i know i should just be naming who that character is but i can't remember who buck's father's name was uh buddy. Is just buck's last buddy name brother too. buddy yeah buddy brotherton what happened to buddy i mean that's the and it's not super emotional but it's i mean robert duvall is the only one who has any any real range i think in this movie and it's very much appreciated like i i did enjoy that that scene one last ride you know <laughs> yeah which i assume it's not because now they'll just probably drive for rowdy assuming that he survived his surgery he probably can't drive anymore so um but yeah, uh, I mean, I don't know if I have much more to talk about in, in this five point with the hard cut, but it, a lot of it had to do with just the pacing was so insanely fast. And the problem is, I don't know if that was conceptual. It's like we're going to do a movie about NASCAR or NASCAR, so we're just going to make it as fast as possible. Or some of the other research I did in this movie was this movie basically got made like as they were filming it, like at some point, like uh, what is it? Tom Cruise would get his lines on cue cards the day of shooting. Oh, or I, did I think not there was know one. That. At one point, there's a scene where he's driving the car and they had his 
his lines like taped or I think in like the windshield wiper of the vehicle or something like that. And it actually caused him to wreck because he couldn't see around it. And then they wound up having to give him an earpiece so that they could feed him his lines because they were making this movie up as they went. It it got delayed several times. In fact, one of, them, one of the, the, the fun facts was apparently it might have even gotten delayed three times in one day. <laughs> they came back and pushed back the actual date of the movie. Um, it... It soured a relationship between Brookheimer and Paramount, <laughs> where Brookheimer basically was like pound sand, and he went to go work for Hollywood Studios and Disney after this. So there was this movie caused a lot of problems. <laughs> I did not. I know that Robert Town, famous Hollywood script doctor, uh, worked on a, a lot of the script. I mean, he's literally the guy who wrote Chinatown. Uh, but usually, he he's kind of famous for being a hey, a movie is kind of in trouble, so let's bring in Robert Town to touch it up. And he apparently developed a close relationship with uh, Tom Cruise after that. So I guess it makes sense mm -hmm. that it was a trouble production because anytime Robert Town is brought in, there's there's a, a reason for it. So I was going to save this for Blue Book, but it feels like the best time to bring it up now. So yes, apparently I'll, I'll save it for Blue Book because it ruins part of Blue Book. All right, we will, we will talk about more of that in Blue Book. So a little tease for Blue Book. There's a little bit more than you just guessing numbers this this Ooh, go round. Okay, I so, like uh, Travis, did you want to go into real world or control as an illusion before we do uh, second best protagonist or board of ethics? Uh, yeah, I'll go into real world real quick, which we've kind of already touched on it, but in, in a little bit in the open as well. And I think you articulated it perfectly because a lot of the stuff in this movie are just real world anecdotes which yeah on their own they're a little bit crazy but if you have 10 anecdotes combined together let's just kind of go over real quick there's the highway patrol prank that they play on cole uh-huh like you said they probably got a prostitute that tracks hey you can pay a woman to dress up the costumes look awfully realistic okay okay maybe you, you <laughs> The police cars look extremely realistic. So did they bribe the local police department in whatever fucking town they were going through to do this? And I would assume it had to be because she was the, unless the, the dudes were also escorts, I would assume that the other men were actual cops. police officers. Yeah. So with that case, if she is an escort, it makes it even shadier. <laughs> <laughs> Which, okay, hey, if that's the most ridiculous thing in the movie, that's fine. We touched on the smashing up of the rental cars. You damage, presumably, just two brand new cars and just kind of have the comedic moment of the, you know, the the minimum wage employees looking at the wreckage. That's completely insane. Uh, we, we've yeah, because there's going to be a record of that, that they did. <laughs> And then, and then here's the best part, Travis, the part that they don't explain. Did they take a taxi to the restaurant now <laughs> or did they get another? Did, did they somehow rent another car? After like they bring them back like, yeah, we don't know what's wrong with these two. Can we get another one? Like, <laughs> what happens in that situation? Yeah, I didn't even think about that because, yes, that they're sitting in the bed. Yeah. Uh, you know, we had some radiator trouble. Can we get another rental car? Do, do you bring that to Enterprise and then go over to Mavis and go like, hey, uh, we need to rent a car over here before somehow this tracks onto our, our records? Uh, again, it's kind of just what a son of a bitch Cole Trickle is. The, the whole. 
the, the whole scene with uh with Nicole Kim and Dr. Lewicki in the car, the the level of road rage that he gets, and then she almost jumps out of the car, like I love this movie. I've seen this movie a million times. I never realized what a just a bad dude Cole Trickle is. Like, even going back to when he sends <laughs> yeah. what looks to be five thousand dollars worth of flowers to Dr. Lewicki, that's a big red flag. That's some psycho behavior. Yeah, super creepy that he was able to get her address, right? <laughs> Not only get her address, but then just kind of, you know, I think there's a term for it called like love bombing her. Yeah. Like, I got a vibe that Tom Cruise and Cole Trickle are a, a lot alike. Yeah, because uh, Cole Trickle is much like every other character that Tom Cruise has ever played. But yeah, no, I thought the sound was like, Cole Trickle's not a likable person in this movie at all. <laughs> Everyone around <laughs> We're going to wind up getting into second best protagonist a little bit here. Well, when uh, she, and then we'll come back into real, real quick, world. Real quick, when after Nicole Kidman gets out of the car, you know, while it's moving... And she's like, get away from me or I'll call the police. And he's like, I don't care. Call the police. I have I have so much to say. And she's like, why don't he's like, why do I'm like you? Yeah, dude, take take a hint. Like in 2022, that scene just feels so much differently than it, it's it's the classic message of like, hey, if the girl doesn't like you, just keep keep working at it, which is just the wrong yeah. message for men. But anyway, what were you going to say? Absolutely. So as <laughs> I so this is, we already said that this is just basically another version of Top Gun, but this is another movie where Tom Cruise plays a protagonist who's just an asshole who we're supposed to perceive as being the best who actually isn't. So I have a firm, I stand firm that in Top Gun, Maverick is the bad guy. He might be the protagonist, but he's also the antagonist of Top Gun and that Iceman is the best pilot in Top Gun. He just winds up getting saved by Maverick at the end because, you know, they get into a, a sticky situation. Much like this, Tom Cruise just rolls up on the scene. Rowdy is a better driver. I mean, he has the experience. He is a better driver. Tom Cruise just basically fucks him over because he's inexperienced and, and causes a, a wreck. And then not only that, the same thing with Russ. Russ Wheeler also... <laughs> Russ Wheeler apparently, is, to me, again, is another somehow... Randy Quaid's character is able to find prodigies where no one else is able to. Because apparently Russ Wheeler comes out of nowhere and becomes better than Cole Trickle, too. I'm like, Randy Quaid should just go and find talent is what he really needs to do in this movie. Because he manages to find Cole Trickle, who comes out of nowhere and becomes one of the best in NASCAR. And then when Cole Trickle can't race, he finds Russ Wheeler, who comes back and manages to be better than Cole Trickle's. <laughs> like, again, I don't know where he's fishing NASCAR racers out of, but he's got quite the pond. <laughs> yeah, and both times no, it's in the middle of the season. Both times. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but Russ Wheeler, there's nothing aside from his very tiny sunglasses. There's no reason to dislike Russ Wheeler. All right. Well, and here's um, the thing. They set up Russ Wheeler as kind of like driving dirty. But the problem is they're Every every racing scene in this movie, it's just cars banging into each other. There's fucking smoke everywhere for no fucking discernible reason. So the issue is any effort to make Russ look bad by hitting Cole. I'm like, literally, you can't go two seconds in a race scene in this movie without cars slamming into each other, which spoiler. That's not how real racing is. <laughs> 
Travis, beyond that, we had Harry Hogg literally, literally tells Cole, they didn't hit you, they didn't bump you, they didn't do, they rubbed you, and rubbing is racing. He declares earlier in the movie that there is no dirty hits. <laughs> no, well, not hits, rubbing. So there, there's, there's, yeah, there's, there's no dirty rubbing. No, there's no dirty hits, there's only rubbing. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, to your point, like, to, to a... If that was what they were trying to imply was that Russ was a bit of a dirty, dirty driver. I'm like, I never got that. And maybe that's because what's Carrie, what's his name, who played Russ. Elwiz. I, I can I, never say his last name. Yeah. I find him to be a charming son of a bitch in just about anything he does. So it's one of those things like I associate him with everything else I've ever watched him in. And I'm like, no, he's probably a stand up dude. Well, you know what? Here's the thing, too. <laughs> the scene where Cole meets him and Cole's on the phone, you know, being a fucking creepy son of An a bitch. Asshole. Well, and getting yeah. getting Dr. Lewicki's address. But then, yeah, Russ comes up and tries to introduce himself and Cole just completely blows him off. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Cole's the asshole here. Mm -hmm. Through the entire movie, through the entire movie, Cole is an asshole. And even when he wins at the end, I don't know. <laughs> I, I wasn't rooting for Cole. I was rooting for Harry. <laughs> That's who I was rooting for. Well, I want Harry to win. OK. All right. Well, then let's pause here, though. I love Harry. The performance by Robert Duvall is amazing. Here's my question, though. Should we be rooting for Harry? Because we never find out, technically, as you said, what happens to Buddy Brotherton. But we know that he died. We know that he died during a race that Harry was his, his pit chief for. And yet, when Cole wins the first race, Harry puts Cole's life in jeopardy. Like, it, it's not reading between the lines. Tim, Randy Quaid's character, literally says you're going to get him killed when he lies to Cole and says he's got special tires. You would think, hey, less than a year ago, a guy died driving for me. I probably shouldn't risk the life of my next driver. Even if Harry is a sociopath, it would look kind of bad if you killed two dudes in 12 months. Yeah, but if you're going to go down that logic, then you're going to say that Bugs Bunny was a son of a bitch when he risked all the t Looney Tunes in Space Jam with Michael's secret stuff. So I'm just applying the same logic there, and I think Harry was in the right. Because that's he is the same thing, essentially. He, he gave him Michael's secret stuff, and there wasn't actually anything there. You know, it just got... You had to build his confidence up. He wasn't going to die if he thought he had something special. I, I follow that logic, but again... <laughs> Watching, as Andrew pointed out in, in I think, of our review of Heat, it, it is sometimes a son of a bitch to review things critically because I've seen mm -hmm. this movie 10 million times. But watching it this time, I was like, that's a little reckless, Harry. It is. Yeah, it is. A, it is a, t a tad bit on the reckless side. Yeah. I think it, that just falls into being in that sport where everyone is kind of a little reckless because you have to think i mean buddy if he thought that harry had any hand in his father's death like buddy still works with harry so that in of itself would be weird like the recklessness of it which i guess buddy stopped racing because of that but at the end of the day no buddy, I think buddy it's just, died you're talking about buck john oh, c sorry Riley. buck yeah. yeah yeah i think at the end of the day it's just this is it's a an intense sport so no risk no reward type stuff yeah, no, that's fair. And, and and that gets into, you know, control is an illusion, uh, which I 
I wish this movie had had gone one step further with the stuff that Nicole Kidman, when she is yelling at Tom Cruise, that scene about not not only what Nicole Kidman says, but when you know Robert Duvall's talking to Nicole Kidman, it's like if you get a, a race driver to a funeral before he's actually dead, you've done something. Mm-hmm. The whole the whole theme of like Cole has seen what happens to Rowdy and he doesn't want to deal with it because he knows that that same shit could happen to him. That's a that's a profound kind of theme for a movie, but that movie never does anything more than than pay lip service to it. Mm-hmm. I thought I thought they really scratched on. I think that's what if this were an actual real movie and not just a 90 minute music video <laughs> slash commercial for NASCAR. I think that's what you would make a real movie about. Well, so as you're talking about that, what I think is bonkers about this movie is when you look back at it's Tony Scott, right? Is the director? Yeah. Yeah. When you look at his filmography, he does nothing but action movies like and especially after this, like, this is a very weird movie for him in the middle of, like, he did Top Gun, like, military movies. He has Top Gun in there, and then he had Man on Fire, which absolutely, you know, one of my favorite movies. Uh, he has tons of movies like that. <laughs> and then he has Days of Thunder. Days of Thunder, to me, is the odd man out, where it's just like, oh, I'm, I'm going to do an action movie about NASCAR. And I'm like, that's a very weird, a sports action movie. You know, they're... There's, I don't think there's enough of the sport in here, and they tried to actionify NASCAR more than it needed to be. Yeah, and I think it's it's very well shot, which, I mean, I, I, mm-hmm. I can say that about any Tony Scott movie. Like, the racing action is amazing. Um, I mean, he's clearly, like you said, he's only here because he did Top Gun, and they wanted to make Top Gun in a car. But yeah, mm-hmm. this feels a little, even for Tony Scott, a little bit inconsequential. Yep. Uh, so did you have any more in the real world? Because I think I cut you off, and then when we're done with that, we can we can finish up with board of ethics. No, we kind of we kind of touched on it. Just all okay. the insane, unrealistic things that happen because they're cherry picking stories throughout NASCAR history. So yeah. Yep. So board of ethics, spelled B O R E D. Uh, is all about Dr. Lewicki and the fact that she decides to have a relationship with Cole Trickle, which seems like a real weird thing to have in this movie. Uh, I don't know how they decided to the right to the the meet cute for them and then take it from there, where he places her hand on his, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I assume erect penis, because if he's going to do that and he's getting arousal, I think it'd be weird to put it on a limp dick. So I assume, uh, you know, he's he, he's, you know, erect and and puts her hand there. And then she walks off and Harry apologizes and all that. Then he creep, you know, does the Cole does the creepy move of, you know, uh, love bombing her. And somehow it, it takes off and then, you know, essentially falls apart later in the movie. But even then, just the whole thing where he continues to make moves on his doctor and then finally she kind of like decides to go with it. I'm like, there has there has to be a weird ethics thing going on here, right? That they just decide not to address in the movie. Uh, yeah, I, again, one of those things that I never gave a second thought to until I watched it to review it. And I'm like, yeah, both Cole and Claire are a little... 
I, I guess they're perfect for each other because they are uh, ethically flexible, I would say. Well, and it'd be one thing if she was a nurse. I, f- I still would be wrong, but at least like she doesn't have any influence on his life. But at the end of the day, she's part of the people to decide if he's allowed to drive again. And now she's fucking him. So it's, it's like, I don't know what that causes more of an issue for if she falls in love is she gonna lie to keep him safe or is it one of those i have a relationship i'm gonna do what you want like there just seems like there'd be a lot of issues when (laughs) if and when that comes out yeah she would be entirely compromised and furthermore the way that she kind of takes down cole and 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 basically calls him you know an an infantile egomaniac I don't why she doesn't she would not ever actually want to date him either. So like ethically it doesn't make any sense. Character-wise, it doesn't make any sense. But you can kind of just see the 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 tendrils of Scientology just right off screen being like, we need to find Tom a wife. And then they <laughs> they force this kind of romantic angle in here. Well, say you do that. I just thought, does Tony, whoever, I don't know who wrote the script. I assume Tony Scott was involved with the script writing him. Like, I know we have a Top Gun thing, but like, do we have an issue here where, like, Tony, oh, Tom Cruise. I wonder how much influence Tom Cruise had on Top Gun then. Because both of them are, the love interest is like a forbidden love. A it's forbidden the doctor authority and, figure, yeah. Yeah, the, the, the forbidden authority figure. I'm like, this is, again, just the parallels with Top Gun. I'm like, this is weird. You would do this again in this movie where the love interest is somebody that, like, they have to compromise themselves to be with Tom Cruise, who's a nutcase. Yeah, I, I think a little bit too much truth starts bleeding through when you kind of line those two things up. <laughs> Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Like, but yeah, it's just there's just I don't have a lot of details to go to other than the fact just to bring up just the whole relationship with Doctor Lewicki is as a major problem for me in this movie, and. There seems like there could have been easy ways to fix that. Like, don't make it his neurosurgeon. Like, maybe if it was he saw that one in the hall or at at some point there's a scene where she relieves herself like, hey, I'm compromised here. I can't be your doctor anymore. Where it's just like, okay, she's taking the responsible route of saying, like, I am admitting of being in a relationship with him. I can't be in charge of, you know, giving him the green light. Yeah, but as you've said, this movie is the quickest ride. I mean, what, what are we talking about? It's it's well under two hours. What is it, like an hour and 40? Hour 40, 40? Yeah, hour 47, I think. About, yeah, about I mean, there is absolutely no room in this movie for any. Well, there's plenty of room, but they it, it's such a breakneck pace. They would never explore that in the script. No, not at all. Not at all. So if you don't have anything else for five point, I think we can move into some of our additional segments. Yeah, like I said, off mic, uh, my my chop shop's a little long. So, yeah, we, we can we can move on. All right. So, Travis, let's do some blue book. You ready for some blue book? Let's do some blue book. So the sticker price of this here flick was 60 million dollars. What do you think it brought in U.S. and Canada? Uh, 71. 
million. All right. 71 million? Yeah. All right. No, All right. no, 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 uh, no. That's too high. Let's back it down. 51 million. Oh, wow. All right. Uh, 82. Oh, 82.6. Okay, okay. Is what it brought in okay. US, US and Canada. Do you want to guess what it brought in worldwide? I'll say the worldwide gross pushed it to 112. Basically 158. Damn. 158 million. Yeah. Damn. I, so it's kind of a You side have note. to remember they're this is they i'm sure they marketed it as top, top gun and cars yeah. <laughs> yeah i uh i have a, a a glimmering hope that with the success of top gun maverick because i mean i don't know if you've seen that brett but box office wise that thing is it's got legs it's doing well yeah i'm really hoping that that leads to it a, a days of thunder sequel like let's mine this <laughs> other ip anyways continue so as i teased in five point inspection there's a little bit i have a little bit more information so uh it was i don't know if you would call it a commercial success i mean it it barely made its money back u.s uh i guess it doubled its cost worldwide but apparently uh the film's disappointing box office performance was actually in part what destroyed the relationship between paramount and both Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer. So I guess Paramount thought that it underperformed so much <laughs> that they decided to punish those two in two different ways. The first one is when they went to do Beverly Hills, the third movie, Beverly Hills Cop 3, apparently they gave them just an impossibly low budget so that they couldn't make the movie. And then in addition to that, they wanted Simpson and Bruckheimer to give Paramount $9 million of their earnings of days of thunder back in order for them to, 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 to like stave off some of the losses they took with the movie. So essentially uh, the producers responded by saying paramount, you can go fuck yourself. And they went over and started working with Disney and Hollywood studios after that. Well, I don't know if you realize, but Don Simpson actually plays a character in this movie. He he's one of the race drivers. And I'm like, that's always a bad sign. I've uh, I heard he had quite a allegedly he had quite a cocaine habit and oh. casting yourself in your own movie that you're producing as one of the race drivers. It, it screams of a out of control production to an extent. <laughs> so, yeah, what you're saying does not surprise me. But that concludes Blue Book. Now, my personal favorite, Travis. Tag and title. Are you ready for some tag and title? Oh, oh God, yes. All righty. So, Travis, it's going to be a little different this week. All right. Under normal circumstances, Travis, I would give you three taglines. One being an official tagline for this movie. One being a tagline I find adjacent or for a movie that's adjacent, and one being a tagline that I created. This week, though, I'm going to give you four taglines. One tagline will be an official tagline for the movie. One tagline will again be for a movie I found adjacent, and two of the taglines will be created by yours truly. What I need you to do, Travis, is give me the official tagline of this movie. Are you ready? 
I'm ready. All right. He's taking the podium by storm. You can't outrun the thunder. If you're not first, you're last. Life after the crash. Um, I'm a big fan of this movie, so I can officially confirm you can't outrun the thunder is a tagline for Days of Thunder. Okay. If you're not first, you're last is uh, Talladega Nights, uh, which does have a Tom Cruise shout out. Clearly, uh, this movie is a giant inspiration for Talladega Nights. So we'll lock mm. that in. It does give me a way more of an appreciation for Talladega Nights. Yeah, yeah. Down to John C. Riley appearing in both mm-hmm. movies, albeit 60 pounds and weight different. Uh, what, <laughs> what were the other two taglines? He's taking the podium by storm and life after the crash. I mean, if you're saying that you're, you're not first, your last is Talladega and you can't outrun the thunder. You made up the other two? Is Days of Thunder. I made up those two. Okay. Yeah, the, the podium. Yeah. Not your best work, Brett. Yeah, I tried to work in that by storm. So. Yeah. yeah I trying okay, to go with it. Yeah, yeah. Both of them are trying to play off of the thunder. I had a feeling I didn't have a shot in hell with this one, knowing how much you quote the movie. <laughs> this is one of those, like, I'm sure he knows. Do you know what the two alternate taglines for this movie are? Uh, I believe one of them is Cruise Like Thunder. Cruise Like Thunder. And then the other one is just another, you can't stop the thunder. <laughs> That's so generic. So generic yeah. and so 90s. Even though this was only 1990, that's definitely a 90s ass tagline. I just love, if you look at the like the poster for this movie, at a quick glance, I would never have thought this was about racing. Like the way that they put the the whatever you want to call it, effect on the race cars all i see is tom cruise him his face and his name are the biggest things on this and then you see days of thunder i almost completely pass over the cars in terms of hierarchy of the design like i completely miss the cars i wouldn't have no idea that this was a car a movie about nascar I, if i saw this like on a on a hollywood video shelf a hundred percent. I love I love the poster, but if you told me that it was the poster for Twister, it would make just as much sense as it being a, a race car movie. Oh, or Need for Speed, or Speed, or Mission Impossible, or anything like that. Any of those, I would be like, yes, this is definitely... It screams 90s action movie. It has nothing to do with sports. <laughs> I'm not even convinced that picture of Tom Cruise is from this movie. Looking at, like, the haircut, I don't think his his hair looks too short. It looks like it's a Mission Impossible haircut. I could be wrong. I'm just saying, looking at it, I'm not convinced that's an actual still from the movie. Oh, I would 100%, yeah, believe that it's not a still. Eh, I, no, I, it, it's not. Maybe, a, it's, I don't it's know. It's not as egregious as you say, but yeah, I, I get your point. Uh, but yeah, so you flawless victory on tag and title this week. I I came into that. I mean, yeah, I, I should hope assuming. so. I've only seen this movie 7,000 times. So do you have a time capsule for us this week? Uh, I actually do. Uh, Brett, did you know that a, uh, a U.S. Senator is in this movie playing a, a reasonably prominent role? Bob Dole. 
Uh, Fred Thompson, who uh, plays Big John. Uh former U.S. Senator for Tennessee, actually four years after this movie he was elected, also was involved in the Watergate trial because he was a, uh, a lawyer. I don't know if you've ever heard the question. It's kind of famous. What did the president know and when did he know it? Yep. Yeah, that was uh, that was Fred Thompson uh, in 1973 in the, in the Watergate case. So, yeah. Thought it was kind of crazy. I, I thought he crushed. He crushed the role. We were talking about the uh, uh, the, the Japanese. Uh, oh God, what was it? Uh, like you got a head of lettuce. You don't want to let into the country. You, mm-hmm. you sit it on the dock. That whole speech, amazing, amazing. So yeah, Fred Thompson as uh, Big John, based on Bill France of NASCAR. Yep. Very nice, sir. Another one of those, you know, anecdotes that was relatively real, and they just slipped it in. They took all of the crazy from NASCAR and put it on one person. Absolutely. Alrighty, sir. I think that brings us to our final segment. Chap, chap. Now, as we discussed last week, we have changed up the format a little bit. We are now only doing one chop shop a show. Um, last week, we rolled the Wheel of Fate, and you were assigned sci-fi. So, Travis, I am eagerly awaiting your sci-fi chop shop. Uh, here's what I'm going to do, because... Uh... And that's all we have time for this week, everybody. <laughs> Stay tuned for Matt Damon. Um, I'm going to grab a, uh, a beverage because this is going to be a long one, Brett. Okay. You, you seemed fine with it. If I told you, Brett, it, if it, it, it's a 45 minute chop shop. So if you need to get a drink, go ahead, grab one. I'll be right back. I'm just going to go ahead. If you want to record it on your own and send it to me, I'll listen no, to it when I, no. I, I need you your know, real time wanna... input. You know how I like to pause mm. and let you kind of make your, you're, mm-hmm. you're like I'm Tom Cruise and you're Robert Town. You know, you kind of come in there and just put the polish on it. If it's a 45-minute chop shop, I feel like you've put 30 minutes into the movie that wasn't even originally there. You have to see. I'll be right back. All right. It's not really really 45 minutes. You can teach. So, yeah, I'm just going to get to it because it is a little lengthy. Um, I'll go ahead and give you a couple of inspirations just so you can look for them in the movie. Uh, Interstellar, little bit of Ad Astra, Mortal Kombat, and Raiders of the Lost Ark. <clears throat> okay. I'm very, very eager to hear this now. So our movie opens in 2024 aboard an Elon Musk Tesla spaceship. Musk walks around the ship doing final checks before takeoff. Uh, The camera follows Musk as he heads towards the cockpit. The door opens and Musk takes a seat next to uh, the pilot of the ship. 
And Musk says, today's the day, my friend. Are you ready? Musk puts his hand on the shoulder of a pilot who replies without the camera revealing his face. Eh, a little pre-flight jitters, but that never caused me any issues at Daytona. Musk responds, well, like they say, Cole, there's nothing you can't do in a race car or a rocket ship. The camera whips around to reveal Cole Trickle, the long-retired NASCAR driver. And we, then we smash cut to the title card, Days of Thunder, colon, The Search for Cole. Uh, we feature opening credits that have still candids of uh, the original Days of Thunder featuring John C. Riley as Buddy Brotherton. Uh, oh, excuse me, Buck Brotherton. Uh, Tom Cruise as Cole and Robert Duvall as Harry Hogg. Later in the opening credits, we'll see that Elon Musk eventually took an interest in Cole and was an honorary member of the pit crew for several races in the early 2000s. As the credits end, we cut to space and Musk's ship, piloted by Cole, nears a wormhole. The first one discovered close enough to Earth to investigate. Musk gives final instruction, and as the ship enters the wormhole, a bright light envelops the cockpit as Cole struggles to maintain steering. The ship's power source begins to grow louder as Musk yells, This is it! as the screen goes white. Uh, we hold on the white screen for a few seconds as we hear the power source roar, and that roar slowly changes to the sound of a NASCAR engine. We fade in to reveal Buddy Brotherton, Buck's father, racing in Daytona in 1988. Buddy is yammering on the radio to his pit chief, Harry Hogg. At first, Buddy is yammering to Harry about the car. The ass end is too loose, Harry. I told you. Four laps to go, Buddy. You're running like you're running down the leader. Okay, don't start this shit. Harry Hogg looks over knowingly at Buddy's son Buck, who simply shrugs. Buddy will continue to yammer as we follow the last lap. Suddenly, Buddy from the cockpit of the car turns and faces the camera directly. Buck, you gotta find Cole. The universe depends on it. Just then, Buddy's car slams into the wall in a fiery crash, and we smash cut to Buddy Brotherton in 2026, waking up from a nightmare of his father's death. Uh, so I had a natural pause in here where I'm gonna I'm gonna do some meta, but do you have any questions, concerns, comments? Not at the moment. At a certain point, I wasn't sure if we were gonna go with like a Hodor thing, where suddenly, you know, that's what actually caused Buddy to run run into the wall is like. His consciousness. Oh, okay. Never mind. Uh, no, 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 no. Something I normally do. Uh, no, no, no. I, I, I like that. Little. Have you seen Interstellar? You've seen Interstellar. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit of Interstellar there. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Uh, in the interest of this not being forty-five minutes long, and uh, in the interest of me not just quitting mid-story, uh, I'm going to yada yada <laughs> uh, the rest of the first and second act. Buddy's going to go. I keep I kept typing buddy Buck will go visit Harry Hogg who is now a consultant for Warren Buffett's F1 racing team because we had to get some F1 in here uh buddy and Harry is Harry a cyborg because I feel like at this point Harry should be pretty damn old Robert Duvall still is Harry alive. just a... okay he, I see he, in your timeline yeah, okay okay alive. in your time okay yep. Uh, Buck and Harry share some moonshine on the back porch uh, when Buck's recurring nightmare comes up. Harry admits that he's been having similar nightmares since Cole vanished into the wormhole. 
Harry convinces Warren Buffett, <laughs> convinces Warren Buffett to fund a new mission to the wormhole, which Buffett agrees to on the condition that Rowdy Burns pilot the mission. I don't know why. We got to get Rowdy Burns in here, though. Uh, <laughs> well, you should. You could have just had. Uh, he could have. Oh, Rowdy Burns. Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. What are you thinking, Russ Wheeler? No, you said that my mind registered Buddy. And I was like, oh, because you were going to have Buddy pilot. I assume pilot it. I was like, oh, Buddy could have just been on. And then whoever the pilot is dies and Buddy has to take over. But I'm like, oh, no, Rowdy's not Buddy. So never mind. Also, it's, Rowdy, it's Buck, Buddy not Buddy. Because I keep making that mistake, will, too. So, yeah. Yeah. Very confusing. Uh. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, Rowdy Burns is the pilot of the mission on the orders of Warren Buffett. <laughs> Rowdy, Harry, and Buck depart on the mission and enter the wormhole with the same white light as the opening scene. We then cut to their ship or orbiting an Earth-like planet. The trio take an escape pod down to the planet, ending in a rough landing. As they exit the ship, Buck notices an undamaged quarter panel and comments, Hey, look, a side we won't have to fix which leads to Harry kicking it in and replying, I don't want you getting spoiled, Buck. Uh, smash cut to Elon Musk's headquarters on the new planet. Musk receives a call from his security that another vessel has emerged from the wormhole. Uh, cut back to Rowdy, Harry, and Buck exploring the new planet when suddenly a Tesla-branded hover ship approaches and lands. The ship's hatch opens and a ramp extends, revealing a joyous Elon Musk. Elon instantly recognizes Rowdy Burns and Harry Hogg. Gentlemen, it is truly an honor. I am sure you have many questions. Uh, Musk takes the trio to his headquarters. Uh, through a data dump, Musk will reveal that uh, time works differently in this dimension. Uh, while Musk and Trickle have been gone for from Earth for around two years, they have been in the new dimension for nine. Over that decade, Musk learned of an interstellar slash interdimensional Olympics. Over millions of years, various species have participated in the games, sharing knowledge and technology. Musk learns that if any one of if any one delegation <clears throat> if any one delegation wins ten years in a row, they are given quote unquote the key to the universe. Historically, events uh, changed from year to year, but Musk quickly realized that having the legendary Cole Trickle with them meant that his best chance for dominance was through racing. Uh, so with Cole's driving prowess, Musk manipulated the powers to be that the sole yearly contest would be a racing season. Uh, Trickle's victories have led to even greater technological advancements for the Tesla race car, and Cole has won nine straight Galileo Cup titles, meaning that Musk is one more title away from the key to the universe. Musk is eager to gloat about these accomplishments and ask Rowdy... It, Rowdy, Buck, and Harry would like to stay around for Season 10's first race the upcoming weekend. The trio accept, and uh, Musk shows them to their quarters. You hanging in there, Brett? Yeah, no, I'm interested to see where this goes. What's the conflict going to be? How are we going to stop Musk from getting the key to the universe? Uh, the trio were enjoying some beers and discussing the crazy nature of their adventure when a flustered Cole enters their room. He quickly turns on a TV at full volume 
showcasing the 1991 Firecracker 400. Cole tells the group that Musk is insane, and he's terrified of what will happen if he wins a 10th straight title. The group asks Cole why he doesn't just lose races on purpose, and Cole explains that the Tesla 10 uh, can do a full medical diagnostic on the driver and would be able to sense any sabotage. Because, you know, sci-fi. Yeah. Cole explains that he never thought he'd be so dominant racing against uh, people or creatures that are not from Earth. But he feels that it's destiny that Rowdy has come to this dimension to potentially avert disaster. Uh, Rowdy agrees to race in, or, you know, volunteer to race in the uh, the upcoming season. And the group pitched the idea to Musk, banking on the fact that he won't be able to resist the nostalgia of seeing the famous rivals battle through one more season. Musk agrees and offers Rowdy a car, but tells them that he can't give him the Model 10 Tesla that Cole uses because Rowdy hasn't, he hasn't earned his stripes. So Rowdy's going to drive a Tesla Model 3, an inferior car to Cole's. We'll montage our way through the season, highlighting the one thing Musk did not account for. Uh, so as we established in Days of Thunder, Rowdy Burns suffered a brain injury in the crash uh, with mm -hmm. Cole. Between the events of uh, Days of Thunder and this movie, thanks to advances in modern medicine, uh, Rowdy gets a brain implant uh, meant to improve his coordination and cognitive ability. And the device, it doesn't make him a superhero, but his reaction time, ability to read patterns, greatly enhanced. Mm -hmm. So then we're going to have a montage of racing. So you're saying he's got like a Rowdy radar? Oh, trademark. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> that could be uh, that could be his sponsor for his car mm -hmm. the, the tesla 3 that he races rowdy radar well actually but that would make it known to bus which would destroy my plot here but i like it Brett. uh so we're gonna have a montage of of race and like pit hijinks interspersed uh will be shots of an angry elon musk as the enhanced rowdy is winning you know his fair share of races uh, and despite his inferior car, Rowdy and Cole are tied in points heading into the season's last race, the Andromeda 500. Uh, we'll have scenes of the drivers getting suited up and final prep on the Teslas. Uh, we'll have a couple shots of Tesla robots under the hood of Rowdy's Model 3. We'll also see a, a scene of Musk completing a download of a file on a computer. And when he opens it, it reveals that it's Rowdy Burns' medical records. Does he know about the implant? We'll see. Uh, so I literally put in here, race action, race action, race action. <laughs> uh, so we're going to, you know, we're going to speed through the last race. Uh, and on the final lap. Okay, let me pause. Brett, as long as this is, I actually have two different endings for this. Uh, we're We're near the end, so don't worry. But. I'll give you final call on which you think is is, is the better ending. Okay. Uh, so on the final lap, Rowdy and Cole are battling for first place. Rowdy slingshots past Cole coming out of turn three when suddenly Rowdy experiences a sharp pain in his head. Elon Musk sabotages Rowdy's implant. He winces and his foot slips off the accelerator coming out of turn four, allowing Cole to pass him. We have contrasting scenes of the despair of Harry and Buck cut alongside uh, Musk celebrating. In victory lane, Cole, Harry, and Buck stand in the background as Musk 
proudly grandstands awaiting the key to the universe. A spacecraft descends from the sky and lands, and uh, three aliens exit, uh, with the leader of the aliens holding a beautiful golden box that he presents to Musk. Musk opens the box to find a literal oversized key uh, with a small phrase engraved. Musk removes the key from the box uh, and holds the key closer to read the engraving. And he quietly whispers to himself as he reads, to display kindness and to have integrity. Musk looks up from the key directly into the camera and his head explodes in a bloody mess. And his body collapses to the floor as we roll credits. The alternate ending. <clears throat> On the final lap, Rowdy and Cole are battling for first place. Rowdy slingshots past Cole coming out of turn three when suddenly Rowdy experiences a sharp pain in his head. Uh, yada, yada, yada. Uh, Musk sabotages Rowdy's implant. He winces. His foot slips off the accelerator out of turn four. Rowdy's Model 3 limps towards the finish line, rapidly decelerating as Cole races up from behind. In a split second, Cole decides to ram Rowdy's car instead of passing him. Both cars fly apart, sending debris everywhere, but Rowdy crosses the line first. Buck and Harry run out onto the track along with medical support to check on the drivers. We cut to a dejected and petulant Musk destroying his skybox suite at the racetrack. When two alien officials entered, they inform him that they're aware of Musk attempting to sabotage and cheat in the race, uh, and that the fact that he could have cost two drivers their life and Musk is arrested. Back on the track, we have a drone shot of the crash scene. Uh, crash scene. Emergency, emergency personnel putting out the fire and attempting to get the drivers out of the cars. An evac helicopter repairs to land, and we fade to black. Back on Earth, interior, hospital room. Buck and Harry are in Cole and Rowdy's shared hospital room, assisting both men into their respective wheelchairs. Cole and Rowdy have visible bruises and cuts and are ginger in their movement. Harry questions whether the two are prepared for their press conference regarding their experience in space and the disappearance of Elon Musk. They say they are and wheel themselves into the hallway. Cole looks at Rowdy with a, a knowing smile and says, I'll race your ass. Now the two begin racing down the hospital hallway. We have a freeze frame of Cole and Rowdy jockeying for position with Buck and Harry walking behind them, both grinning ear to ear. As credits roll. All right, I know you gave me two and told me to choose. Do you mind if I Frankenstein them and add a touch of uh, Annihilation? Oh, I'm always in the mood for some Annihilation. What do you got? So I'm thinking that ultimately Rowdy does win, but not because Elon Musk messes with his his... Uh, implant right that's a, that's kind of a red herring we think that's what's going to happen as the audience so rowdy cole crew they're all happy because they think that they've defeated elon musk at which point he starts like he starts to laugh and basically you know he knows what they were doing but they're you know they're racing for him they're his champions he still won 10 years in a row cole trickle was not the champion elon musk was for nine years you know so at the end of the day Rowdy might have won the race. So Rowdy wins the race, which is good for him. He gets to come back and redeem himself and, and get that, that final win. But at the end of the day, Musk still winds up winning 
because they don't realize exactly how it's working. But in the same vein of not translating or not understanding fully the rules, when Musk goes to receive the key to the universe, he doesn't realize that actually it was a mistranslation from whatever algorithm or whatever they were used, Tesla was using. And it wasn't, you get a key to the universe, you get, or uh, you're not given the key to the universe, you're given to the key to the universe. So essentially he goes up to the podium to receive it, at which point his body starts to, the, the annihilation with the, the main scientist lady, where his body just starts to light up and basically deteriorate and he's absorbed into the, you know, the- It's like a sacrifice. Uh, basically yeah he's sacrificed to you know it's in this alien dimension it's a great honor to be what become one with the universe and he doesn't realize in his own arrogance and egotistical basically he accidentally becomes sacrifices himself not knowing that that's what he's doing so he kind of beats himself no i love that that's a much more elegant way because obviously in one of my endings he just his head explodes and the other he's kind of a <laughs> a prisoner in, in this dimension but mm-hmm. yeah i like yours is kind of a more it's a more elegant final punishment for him so yeah i, I that's a good mm-hmm. change i like that so i dig it though i liked it uh <laughs> this colon the search for coal <laughs> <laughs> you know i the Andromeda 500. I, I tried to put in, you know, space, like, I, you know. And, yeah. No, I think you did a, a, a top-notch job there, sir. I, I appreciate it. So I think you did a, a good job. I guess, yeah, you kind of made a sequel, the sci-fi yeah, sequel yeah, I forgot to, to Days of Thunder. That. Yeah, I should have blended with it. It was a sequel. Yeah, that makes, uh, makes a little more sense. Um, but yeah, I'm glad you liked it. Very cool. Alrighty, sir. Well, do you have any final thoughts before we roll the wheel of fate for next week's review? Uh, I've just been sitting on the quote that I, I want to give from this movie. Uh, I I fucking love this movie. I acknowledge it's. I think I said earlier it's not a real movie. I mean, I can <laughs> I can say that it's it's a ninety minute commercial slash music video, but when every performance is is spot on, a I'm talking Cole, Harry, down to like Rowdy's pit crew chief. Michael Rooker is Rowdy. We have not talked about. I love the opening when Cole is, he finds out Cole's testing his car and then he goes and sits on Cole's motorcycle. That was, that's the Brett Mosher moment of the movie. Like, yes, that that was you as fuck. (laughs) Like, yeah, go ahead and drive my car. I'll just be waiting with your motorcycle in case anything happens, motherfucker. Uh, and yes it is just a collage quilt of scenes stitched together that don't necessarily feed into one another at all but i'm never bored i'm never not entertained so i there's never been the definition of subjective and objective to go back to our our wrap-up shows that may or may not continue but objectively i know this movie is very flawed subjectively it falls right below eat for like my favorite movie of all time. <laughs> what, what about you? Yeah. Uh, I enjoyed this movie. Uh, it is funny. Uh, having just watched Thor love and thunder, I feel like it's in a very similar boat where it's, yeah, there's a lot of flaws and issues with the movie, but at the end of the day, it's just a lot of fun. It's a fun movie. And it's like, I think, sometimes especially in today's theater climate you don't get a lot of those anymore where it's like it's not 
b like a b sci-fi original or something like that where it's just like it's you know a, a trash movie or something like that or you know shark to puss or something like that where it's just it's just a fun good popcorn movie and not a marvel action popcorn movie like it's it's just fun it's from beginning to end i i did enjoy it there is plenty of moments where i was just like what this is bonkers that this is this is what's going on right now that cold trickles the fact that he gets to race at the end of the movie is insane after watching the events of the movie but at the same time if you can kind of take yourself apart and realize like it's just a fun movie just just take a ride with it. i mean it's the same thing you know top gun is insane when they decide to go inverted and take a picture or fly by the t- like that would never happen in the fucking military you know where he buzzes the tower like no, you wouldn't do that. <laughs> so uh, if if you can take that yourself out of it and realize that this is just a fun movie, I, th- I think it's a fun ride. It's a it's a good movie. It absolutely is. Do you uh, do you want to spin the wheel of destiny before I uh, read this scene verbatim? Because yes. So I will say, Brett, you remember in The Professionals, the Jack Palance speech? Uh-huh. about revolution i have i hold a scene in this movie almost in the same esteem so i'm gonna close with that so if you want to do the wheel of destiny first all right so next week i'm up on deck and i have to convert tropic thunder into a movie dude i salute you in advance whatever you get i, I don't know how you're gonna do this <laughs> I got horror. I'm okay. I can come. I can usually convert like of all the things I could have gotten. Horror was probably okay. the, <laughs> the universe smiled upon me. <laughs> I went from being curious to being very interested now. Cause yeah, I I'm okay. excited where you're going to take that. Yes. Horror, horror is, is my bread and butter. So <laughs> I should be able to do this. <laughs> well, it ties in Brett. So you're telling me you're not scared. No, I'm not scared. Uh, you shouldn't be driving a car anyway. Not on the road, not on a racetrack, and not in a parking lot. You're selfish, you're crazy, and you're scared. I am not scared. You are scared to death. You and Rowdy suffer from the same sickness called the dial. It's probably going to kill you both. You want to control something that's out of control. That's what you said to me, wasn't it? Well, I'm going to let you in a little secret that almost everybody else in this world automatically knows. Control is an illusion, you infantile egomaniac. Nobody knows what's going to happen next. Not on a freeway, not on an airplane, not inside our own bodies. And certainly not on a racetrack with 40 other infantile egomaniacs. Nobody knows and nobody controls anything. Now, you've gotten a glimpse of that and you're scared. You might not have the curse to race anymore. You may never have had it. God, I hate you for this son of a bitch. You make me sound like a doctor. That fucking speech, that scene, dude, Nicole Kidman. Kills it. I feel like that's when she announced the world, like, I'm fucking A-plus list. Yeah. And it also perfectly encapsulates Cole. We were talking earlier about what a kind of piece of shit Cole is. She calls him selfish, crazy, and scared. And the only rebuttal he has is, I'm not scared. I I might be (laughs) selfish, I might be crazy, but I'm not scared. Which, uh, yeah, again, if this were a real movie, you would you would tackle those themes outside of that scene. But again, Travis, that happens, what, 10 minutes before the end of the movie? <laughs> that's the speech that's delivered to the car. He has no growth after that. It's just revealed you're a piece of shit human being. Now go race. 
<laughs> You're a piece of shit, but damn, you can drive a race car, so everything's fine. There's not, there's nothing you can't do in that car, Cole. <laughs> included, you know, including being held accountable for laws broken and you know attempted murder. <laughs> Banging soundtrack though, I love the soundtrack. The bow 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 bow. The opening guitar always puts. I a didn't smile really on notice any music. Yeah, it's pretty much just that opening song. <laughs> it's a good one, though. <laughs> no, the, the soundtrack is good in this movie. So, uh, oh, you're doing were, a fucking well, yeah. Have you listened to? Yeah, I was, I was Moby? doing a bit. You I was doing a Moby? bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All righty, everybody. We look forward to seeing you back next week when we review. I am so much looking forward to next week's review because I. <laughs> I just remember that movie, and I, I mean, Tom Cruise is in it, so I mean, he's going to be uh, a <laughs> he's the, the, the Jack thread Palance. from this week he's to next week. He's the Jack week. Palance of this trilogy, yeah. Yeah. All righty. Well, have y'all a great, well, whatever the rest of the fucking week you have left. Get out of that race car. Ooh. Hello and welcome to a rubbing episode of Hollywood Chop Shop. We are your cinema mechanics, Brett Mosier and Travis Santana. Today we'll be reviewing We Did Not Sink. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, wait, wait, that wasn't on the five-point list. <laughs> All right, let's do that real quick. Yeah, good call, good call. But if you don't have anything else... <laughs> I'm going to have so many things to cut out of this fucking episode. <laughs> um...